Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. I'm really excited to have today's guest on because I have been following him in the news. Actually, not him specifically. I don't know jack about him. I know about his company, Oyo, O-Y-O. How this entrepreneur, who to me was largely a mystery, even though I'm studying entrepreneurs, Ritesh Argawal, has realized that there are all these different hotels that if they could just group together, they would have a bigger footprint. They would be a little bit more enticing for a traveler who wants to go and book a hotel and doesn't know a no-name mom and pop and doesn't feel comfortable going in there. And he realized, you know what? What if we can somehow aggregate them? And then what if we could also go beyond hotels? And he built this whole thing at a young age and he built it up. And then, of course, there are all these stories about valuations. Is this many billions, that many billions? Did it go up? Did it go down? And all that has has hit my radar, but what I didn't get to know is the story of how this guy did it. And so I invited Ritesh on here today to talk about how he did it. We can go through the bio thanks to my sponsor, lemon.io slash Mixergy if you're hiring developers, but I'll talk about that later. First, Ritesh, good to have you here. Great to be here, Andrew. I've been, of course, following your podcast for a long time, and you've, of course, interviewed entrepreneurs across the ecosystem. My favorite is the one where you interviewed folks from our industry who now have, of course, transformed a vacation home and renting an extra room at a house into a, I would say, multi-tens of billions of dollars company, but more importantly, has made a big difference. Hey, thanks for having me here. You bet. You're talking about Joe and Brian, who did Airbnb early days interview here on Mixergy. How much of like the valuation do you personally pay attention to, whether it's this many billions, that many billions, do you personally pay attention to see whether you're a billionaire one day or not? Yeah, Andrew, I think I'll probably use this opportunity to give a little background about myself and where I come from, and that will probably give a little bit of context about how I think about this. So I grew up in the eastern half of India in a small town, probably in the city, most people earn less than $100 a year, at least around the time where I was growing up fathers ran a small shop and mom was a homemaker. So frankly, much more of a usual um, uh, growing up in, in India. I'm one of the four kids in the family. So one of the four siblings, youngest of the lot, the elder three siblings were Asian parents' dreams, engineering, business school, great job, everything that worked. I was a black sheep, did all right in education, but I was constantly thinking that I wanted to do something else, right? I started selling telecom SIM cards while still in my middle school during summers. And one thing led to another. Long story short, I kept doing something or the other which was different from usual until I had the opportunity to become a Thiel fellow. So Peter Thiel was founder of PayPal, early investor in Facebook. I saw you interviewed Ben. Uh, ben was, I think, a class ahead of me. I had the great opportunity to be a Thiel fellow in the class of 2013. And, it, and that changed my life. I went from a little town in India straight to San Francisco and talking about culture shocks, but learned a lot. And the biggest of that was thinking big, didn't need resources because it's free. Came back to India, fell in love with this idea of digitizing small and mid-sized hotels and homes. And I've been doing that for nine and a half years now. Before you went through the Teal Fellowship, you're, you had a company, it was called Aravel Stays, and the name still is part of your business. It is what became Oyo. What was it back then? I started my company pretty much out of a personal pain point or an opportunity, which is whenever I'd make a little stipend, I'd use that to be able to go and stay at one of the nice places next door to Delhi or Kota where I was for mm -hmm. my 11th and 12th grade. And I thought, why not make a platform where people can come reserve these places? That's what I was doing for some time. 
at one point of time, I recognized that the world did not need one more booking platform. And there was a lot of value addition for a company which could come in, go deep in the supply, help the hotel or the holiday home owner, upgrade their premises, get into dynamic pricing, manage their content better, distribute on multiple platforms, just a lot more roll up your sleeves and support your partner kind of a thing rather than just be a booking platform. And that sort of was a pivot. So initially it was actually called two businesses. It was Oravel was the overall website where there were thousands of listings. And one of them was changed into becoming Oravel Inns. But later we changed it into becoming Oyo just to make sure that there was a difference. And Oyo started doing so well that I eventually shut down the Oravel.com business, but the company remained as Oravel Stays Limited, which is what our incorporate company still is, but the brand's Oyo. If I understand you right, the very first one was a search engine like Expedia for local stays, right? And then you said, it's not enough to be another one of these search engines. I need to help the hoteliers who are on the platform. And so you started building software for them. Is that what you did in the beginning? Yeah, I think I'll break this down into two bits. The first is the two learnings that I take away from here is Whatever idea you start with may not eventually be the same idea that you build out because mm -hmm. as you work with your customers, you will figure their needs and requirements could evolve. And the second thing that's an important learning that I had was you should never get to fall in love with one idea until you solve the problem. It doesn't matter what that eventual idea is. Now to your question, I think here's what I did. So let me try and break it down to the brass tacks for your listeners for ease. So one of the property owners who was on Oravel, I reached out to him and said that your occupancy is 20%. Can I help your occupancy go up to probably 50 or 60%? If you give me the opportunity to work deeper with you. His name was Mr. Yadav. Uh, so he said, sure, I'd love to do it. I was, I think, 18 and a half or so around the time. So he said, I'm doing very badly, so I don't think that it will get much better than here. And looking at you definitely doesn't look like you'll make any upside, but I'm doing very badly as it is, so might as well give it a go. The three things I did. The first is dynamic pricing. I didn't have the wherewithal to really bring data science efforts that we are able to bring in today at a platform level. I did something very simple. The first room used to be priced at $15. And every room sold, the price would increase by $1. The reason is, on search websites, travel websites like Booking.com, Expedia, and so on, you have three main tabs, right? You have sort by price, sort by rating, and sort by popularity. I wanted to begin by being the best in sort by price. And the more reservations I got, I could sell it for a higher price. The elasticity would be higher because we would be more popular. So I think, and the third is, of course, quality. I worked with the staff of the hotel to upgrade the premises and get its quality to a minimum level where the ratings could improve so that consumers could say good things about the hotel as hospitality is a repeat business. So our customers were happy and then we could have them over again. So that's how the first hotel went from 20% occupancy to almost 80% occupancy. And one hotel owner called his friend and said, well, I made money with Oyo, would you like to do it? And that's how our business grew one at a time. And now we have 170,000 of them. 170,000 of these types of relationships. The first time that you did dynamic pricing, are you, were you coding it yourself? I know you learned to code at eight. Was that you doing it? No, so I think two bits. The first one is I think the dynamic pricing, like I mentioned to begin with, it was frankly just what's called as staggered pricing. That is, you started an individual price and keep improve, improving. So there was not so much science in it, to be honest. 
And I think my effort back in the day, I think my understanding was quite limited to HTML and the very basics of making a database. I think I owe a lot of our engineering efforts to our fantastic colleagues that we've had over the years. Okay. And then when you said that you helped them improve their quality, can you give me a sense of what you at an early age were able to do to help them bring their quality up without spending too much money? Look, I think good hospitality experience, especially in a segment that we are focused in, require three or four important contexts. The first, let me actually take it one step behind, two important mm -hmm. contexts. One is infrastructure and the second is service. You have to have a good place where this, where everything works, which is a clean linen, clean washroom, clean bedroom, and a nice looking room, ideally if possible, and things like those. And the other being good service, which means when you, when you check in, it's easy, it's simple. If you have any troubles, people help you. If you need some support like a late checkout and the hotel's available, might as well give it for free. Small things like those. So here are the things that I did for both infrastructure and service. On infrastructure, I looked at the hotels, which were the top-ranked hotels on third-party websites, and I saw what their rooms looked like. So one, a lot of hotels had white lights, whereas a lot of hotels which were on the top ranks, they had warm white lights. So I requested our hotel owner to replace the white lights to warm white light, which is not so expensive as you can imagine. We put a little runner and cushion, which were colorful, so they brought a little bit of excitement in the room. We put a little portrait, which was again, I think a few dollars of cost and got the cleaning done really good, right? Like really well done so that you could truly feel like the place is one that, that you'd like to go stay in. On the service, from the fee I used to make from the hotel, I used to spend probably three or 4% of it as an incentive for the front desk manager for every five-star rating they got in order to make sure that they were incentivized to make sure that they got good customer service and consumers repeated and came back. So I think these are the two things I did for uh, good infrastructure and good service back in the day. This is where I get too anal about the details. I understand the difference between white and warm light. I bought white lights thinking, all right, I want white. It's the cleanest. It's the best. And it feels so harsh and just annoying. But I can't imagine anyone going into a hotel review site and saying, I hate that it has white light. Most people don't notice a difference unless they see it side by side. How do you know yeah. stuff like that? I think you'd be fascinated. I'll break it into two parts. The first is the proof of the pudding is in the outcome. And the outcome is what percentage of customers repeat with you. In some of our key markets, almost 65 to 70% of our revenue comes from repeat customers for the last few years. And I think that's right. the outcome that we are most focused on. To the bit about will the consumers figure it or not, I think in the photographs, you'd be surprised that the travel industry is largely driven by consumers deciding by photographs, even if you looked at Airbnb, their conversions dramatically rose with them doing proprietary photography of their houses. We've gone one level deeper and said that not only will we do the photography ourselves, we'll spend a lot of effort in making sure that what is the infrastructure, you know, eventually will show up on those photographs. And you'd be surprised how, how much of a difference it makes to just have warm white versus a, a tube light in, in, in the room when you have photographs. So I think at the end of the day, it, it all goes down to whether you have a good review and rating, which is customers who have stayed and they like it. And the second, mm -hmm. is that a room that a consumer like really has a sense of anticipation that they are going to go to that room and feel all right about it? What I'm trying to get at is how would you even know to pay attention to that? Because I keep hearing in these interviews, pay attention to what customers want. And of course, see what they're, how they're reviewing competition and get an understanding of it. I wonder if your attention was brought to that because you paid attention to how Airbnb grew 
And that was a big part of their story. What does the photo look like? We think that a small photo is good enough, but it turns out consumers think a bigger photo is what really helps them understand the experience. Were you studying that kind of thing and then saying, okay, let me pay attention to details that I wouldn't have noticed otherwise? I think specifically to your question about what inspired me to attend to these details and what I would tell other entrepreneurs to consider is you have to be a customer. You have to be able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer and think if you were making the same decisions, how would you make it rather than think of yourself as a business owner first. So I spent probably over three months staying every day at a different place before I started OYO. Now, at that point of time, I did not know whether those days will mean for anything. I was just frankly trying to sign up people to join the Arrival website. But being able to personally stay in these places, make reservations, see the pictures, constantly troubled me about saying the place looks so different right. from, like, I, I would love it if the photos were there about what this place now looks like. And that sort of inspired me to start looking at what are the five or six or seven things in the pictures that the consumers would really care about. But I think I that probably came in me as a customer. I must say that I, of course, over time have read a lot more about Airbnb and their focus on photography. And that sort of, of course, made it an even stronger view in me that we should continue investing in great quality content for our customers. You mentioned being a Teal Fellow helped you see and think bigger. Can you tell me like what they do to help you see that way? And then going in, what, how are you looking at the world and coming out? How did that influence what you saw? I think I'm sure you've spoken to a few fellows over the years. I think first off, I must take a minute to explain that it was a big deal for me. It was the first time ever I ever traveled overseas outside of India. And I went straight in and met this 40 fellows. So there were 40 applicants who were the finalists and out of which 20 get selected. So I see this 40 kids and frankly, I had 0% chance I'd give to myself to become a fellow when I was like one of the finalists. I just went there because I felt it would be a great opportunity to learn from fantastic TL fellows. And it was the first time I could ever travel to the US. So I was very excited about that too. So the first time I meet all these TL fellows and I find a sense of there's so many rebels that are around the world. I used to think that I'm probably one of the many. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate to it because I'm sure a lot of your listeners are constantly thinking that they want to be entrepreneurs and everybody around them is telling them that you should probably get a job or it's not mm. for you or something like that. I was one of them and I was one more 18, 19 year old thinking about it that way. And there were 39 others who looked and felt just like me, but from different parts of the world, especially from different parts of the United States. So I was quite fascinated and I was quite happy to see that. I was lucky to be a become a fellow. I think there were three or four things that really, really brought this difference of being able to think big. We all used to live in a hacker house right outside of San Francisco in a place called Millbrae. Millbrae is the only place you get both Bart and Caltrain and the rentals are lower, so it worked well for all of us. Now, there are probably seven or eight of us in the house. And it was fascinating to me that almost everyone would come in and say that I want to build the biggest company in this space. Now, none of them had any resources that were remotely close to building those large companies. But each one of them had this genuine sense of conviction and belief that they could build something as big and some of them did. So that was one thing that really made a difference. 
The second, I think just seeing entrepreneurs who are rapidly evolving their companies and aspiring to do big things. For instance, one of our potlucks was with Dylan Field at Figma. He was one of the members of the potluck. It was a big potluck. I think there were probably 30 of us in it. And he was pitching about how he's building Figma, which is going to make it easy for developers and designers to access and enjoy the experience. And almost imagine that a large part of the room felt like, is this be going to be real? Is this going to be large? And I think over the years, it's translated into something that, I, at least in my company, mm -hmm. designers and product managers and operators can't live without. So just seeing a lot of these in action have helped. I'd say those two, and then probably just seeing so many other entrepreneurs around TL community also help. But I think I can't pinpoint to one thing, but a combination of these helped me think big. People who are making progress, who aren't just saying, I'm going to create another search engine for this or that, but I'm going to change this industry, be the biggest company in this industry, make progress towards that. And you say, okay, this is real. I can do this too. And so you come out two years, I think it was a two-year program, right? When you were there? Yeah. So you, you come out of there and what? how does your business look at that point when you're out versus what it looked like in the beginning? So the Tier Fellowship is a flexible program. So you could actually be in the fellowship and you can pursue entrepreneurship. So I actually was out there in the US for a few months in 2013, came back to India early 2014. By then we had one hotel, the first hotel that I had explained you earlier that we were serving. It was doing all right, but it was time to scale. And I think I recognized that there were three or four important things that I needed to fix. And the number one, I have learned that you're the average of the 10 people around you. And it's crucial that you have fantastic talent and operators building out the business with yourself or the mission with yourself if you want to create long-term successful enterprise around yourself. So I really invest in bringing great talent around me. For instance, majority of our senior leaders today have been in the company for around seven to eight years in a company that's nine years old. So I just give me that's a second. Good. How many dogs do you have? Oh, he's muting and he's going, go ahead. You know what? I'll tell people about the sponsor while you go and tend to, to your dog. Okay. All right. I should say that my interviews are sponsored by Lemon.io. If you're looking to hire developers, great developers at a reasonable price, let the people at Lemon.io make the connection for you and impress you. If you want an even lower price than their other customers, go to Lemon.io slash Mixergy. I've been working with them for a long time. A lot of the people who are listening here have listened and tried them out and then signed up. They will match you like a Yenta to make sure you've got the perfect match with the right developer and they'll stand behind them. Go to lemon.io slash Mixergy. Give them a couple of seconds here to get back on. There we go. Sorry How many dogs that. do you have? All good. I have actually two of them. I have two of okay. them. One was actually, one is an Indian breed who we adopted from just three, three streets behind home because we found her abandoned and I'm so happy she's grown to be very big and very shiny over the mm -hmm. years. But when she came, it was just tough, but I'm so happy she's doing all right. All right on. By the way, something you said struck me. You said, I came out and I only had that one hotel. In the two years that you were in the Teal Fellowship, what did you build? I think when I came out, I had not graduated out of the fellowship. This is when I just went, moved back from the U.S. to India. I was still a part of the TL Fellowship. I think my TL Fellowship lasted from 
if I remember it right, from 2013 to mid of 2015. I think 2014 early is when I moved back to India and started growing the business. So by the time I would have gotten out of the fellowship, we were probably a company which had a little over 100 hotels all across India. We raised, I think, close to $25 million between uh, Lightspeed, which was our uh, first institutional capital provider, Sequoia Capital, and Green Oaks Capital, which is a fund based out of the U.S. as well. Okay. You also mentioned that you were staying at different hotels looking for customers. It seems like that, was it a three-month period where every day you were in a different hotel? Were you looking for customers of your search engine? Or at that point, were you saying, I want to sign these hotels up to be in my network? Yeah, these were mostly for signing up the property. So I used to write cold emails uh, to a lot of property owners saying, I think that your property can do with more business. I'd like to bring you on oravel.com. I don't have the money to travel a lot, but I think I can put you up on this website. Would you mind letting me get a place to crash when I come to see you? I was an early influencer in, in that way where <laughs> I was trying to convince owners to let me list them while letting them stay, letting me stay for a day. Wow, that seems like a very hard sell. They don't seem like they were really into technology. They don't seem like they would let an outsider come in. Tell me about that sales process. I love the early days. The good thing is, especially at times when a lot of homeowners or hotel owners are operating at very low occupancy, people are always curious to discover. A lot of hotels and homes, if you have occupancies of 20, 25, 30%, you feel like worst case, anyway, the room was going to go empty. I have somebody right. staying. But best case, even if I get one reservation, I pay for the one night that I'm spending on. That's why I think some people said yes. Some people did not respond. I'd say a lot of people did not respond, but some people did. And I appreciate and I'm thankful to them. So this was a network. Tell me about the evolution from that into more of a formal franchise system. How did you come up with that idea and how did you implement it? Going back to, again, 2014, early when... I was just six or seven months into the fellowship. I came back to India. I thought my heart is in building this business to become bigger. When other owners started reaching out to us, I realized that I got stuck when we had two or three hotels. Because every time I try and get the fourth hotel or try and discuss with the fourth hotel owner, something would break in the first, second or the third hotel. Right? Something on the customer side, something on the merchant side, and so on. So I realized that the number one thing I need to do is bring great talent. I, of course, had Anuj with me. So I and Anuj distributed our jobs. And we said, you will do the supply side. That is, your job is to bring the franchisees. And I said, my job is the demand side, that I will do the distribution, revenue management, and more efforts in that direction. Anuj spent a lot of time after that sort of working with the team. And later, we brought other colleagues, our CEO joined, and a few others, where they basically designed in what we call as a playbook of what does it take to make sure that any individual hotel owner with a certain set of criteria can come on our network, can get our service quality or get their service quality improved and can grow the revenue when they join us, which we broke down into who are we going to select? What is the process from the first meeting to the second and second meeting to the third meeting, which is a signing? What mm. happens between signing and the property becoming a part of our network and getting our brand? What happens in the first 30 days, second 30 days, and the third 30 days, which we call as a P90X. Being able to really deep dive to, to those level of details is what I think I credit Anuj to do. I just was lucky to bring great talent and leaders over the years who then built such a fantastic franchise behind them. 
I want to spend a little more time just on that realization, the transition. I remember when I talked to Paul Graham, I said, how as an interviewer do you think I should be leading the conversation? He said, forget what's in the news because that will make headlines, but it could go away. He said, pay attention to the past. And I remember the thing that he told me to pay attention to was like, how did Google realize that what they should do was own their own servers instead of build their own servers? Those decisions are really tough to come by. So would you mind spending a little more time telling me about how you came up with that franchise system? How I, I see the evolution and how you how you implemented it, but where does those wonderful ideas come from? That's a tough one, but I'll attempt in trying to reflect because the same way as you mentioned that Paul Graham mentioned that let's not, and he's is of course an inspiration to every entrepreneur, I dare say. I also believe that experiences are less valuable than the reflections of those experiences. So I, I will also selfishly try and reflect on my experience to see if there is more to think about it. When I look back, I think the first and foremost is I try to spend as much time as possible with as different a variety of people as I can. And that sort of shapes my own worldviews and my own sets of convictions. Right or wrong, agree or disagree, but at least I have a view or a conviction on a certain perspective. So one of the convictions that I've always had is organized businesses or organized platforms, such as the one that we were trying to build at Oyo, are always more successful when they can partner with unorganized businesses rather than compete with them. At least that's mm -hmm. the worldview I have had. A lot of the individual hotels are unorganized. It's not like we were the first people trying to make a difference in the budget hotel or the budget holiday home market around the world or the mid-market hotel or holiday home in market in India or around the world. There were a lot of companies, but some companies just tried to do it completely first party, where they would try to own the land, build the building, run the building, and create value around it. And my worldview was that small businesses, unorganized operators, entrepreneurs themselves will always beat organized businesses at their job, especially when they're focused in the middle market or in the economy segment. So huh. it was clear to me that as I grew the business and took advantage of these technology efficiencies, the best way of doing it was to part these individual hotels. And the second was the power of technology was unparalleled. I felt like on one side, getting access to technology and branding, and on the other hand, getting access to these entrepreneurs who are willing to partner and say that together we're going to be very successful could have made a huge difference. One of my favorite documentaries is The Men Who Built America and just seeing how the fantastic entrepreneurs there, including, of course, uh, Mr. Vanderbilt, who partnered so many business operators and built successful enterprise by making them more efficient and more modernized and more scalable. I don't think that is what I was thinking, but I, that, that's also been a part of my worldview for a while, I think. That's interesting. You're saying that smaller independent operators will beat out the big guys because? I think, okay, uh, that's a question. I thought there was a statement, but anyway, I'll try and take it as a question. Yeah, I, I think, am. Why do you think? Yeah, I think the easiest way to think about it is as soon as you think about it as small guys versus big guys, I think it looks a little harder. But if I were to turn it around and say entrepreneurs who bring up their families and it's their only way of earning will beat mm. general managers, 
for whom it's a job, I think it becomes very easy to imagine why. So these are entrepreneurs for whom it is their only source of livelihood. And, and for them, this is hence something that they will constantly be creative about, they'll constantly be thinking, what can I do more to be able to make sure that if repeat business gives me more ADRs, I'm going to get, I'm going to get to it and build a more valuable outcome. So I think that's the thinking I've always had that entrepreneurs, especially in small scale, will always beat out just professional systems, especially in a business like hospitality, which is you can't just break like the number of touch points are so huge, right? There's yeah. check-in, pre-check-in, room to bedroom, in-bedroom experience, washroom experience, breakfast. There's so many moving parts that having someone who truly cares about every bit of it and attention to detail, like you mentioned, makes a huge difference. I used to think about that a lot. I grew because I grew up with a dad who at one point owned a few local sneaker and clothing stores. And I would see we worked hard. We spent time with every single customer. We made sure that they got what they needed. And if the, if we didn't have it, we would find a way to go buy it from another store and then bring it in so that we could have it for the next person who asked for it. Literally, we'd buy it from another store in a different town and have it in for the next person who wanted these Nike sneakers. And still, I remember seeing the bigger guys would crush us because they had this beautiful experience because they understood branding and we couldn't even touch that. And I guess what you're saying is keep all that personal touch, add the branding that they can't access, we're going to combine it. So then I think, are there other businesses as you look around and say, this would work there? Because I'm thinking local laundromats, they care a lot about the details, but I don't think that would work well. They don't need the technology. They don't need the search engine. They just need proximity. What other businesses as you look around, would you see that applying to? Yeah, so first off, I think, you know, what a fascinating story you mentioned. You're absolutely right. I'll tell you a lot of hotel partners. So today we have, just in the United States, over 320 hotels. So if you're especially in the south of US and various other parts, it's impossible to miss an OYO hotel. Of course, we have one in downtown Times Square in New York. We have a bunch in Florida, in the Pacific Northwest, and so on. But I'll tell you this. We have a hotel owner in someone like Mark Love who's got eight hotels with him. We have a hotel owner in Mr. Raj Patel, who's got six in them. And a lot of, the, they're not people who are individually running the hotels, only the entire families are engaged in it. Their children, their friends, their families, which is what you mentioned around yourself. And that's exactly what we do. We bring the beautiful branding, marketing technology and allow the personal touch to do its magic on top of it. Um, do you think that would work in restaurants? I do think that it will work in other businesses. Now, which businesses it would work in is a tough question. I think services businesses is, I do think that almost a lot of services businesses will work a lot better than it would work in, let's say, pro, like just goods businesses where you're selling something. Because right. when you go manufacture, there there's a lot of scale benefits that come along. But if you were to provide service, think about anything, maybe restaurant is one, banquet, which is events, is another because finding places to do events is hard. But a technology and a brand could allow you to get access to them, but it could still be fulfilled by somebody who's more personal touch. Surely it would be great support in health services, I'd imagine, because that's again an area where deep personal engagement makes a huge amount of difference to people. Uh, lifestyle, I think a lot of lifestyle activities, of course, fitness is a big one. There's more. I think I can go on, but I'm very happy with accommodation and that's what I'm intending to do. But <laughs> if there are other entrepreneurs out there who want to pick up any of these segments and build a successful business, 
I'll be very inspired. Please keep, keep at it. But I have just so much to do here in our business itself. No, I like that kind of thinking because as I look around now, I do start to think what other services businesses can I then connect up and do it this way? I heard uh, Masayoshi-san, the founder of SoftBank, was at your wedding along with Prime Minister Modi. I'm fascinated by them. I was wondering specifically with SoftBank, how did that funding come together? Was there any interesting story you could share with us? So I always believe, first of all, I'm just very thankful for what's happening in India right now, right? I think India is truly at a unique place today. And I'm sure your listeners would be interested to hear about, I'm sure India is coming up more and more in conversations in the last three years versus earlier. It's an opportune time as well. I think in the last 10 to 15 years, young Indians have gotten access to information around the world due to the courtesy internet. Our culture and value systems are very similar in the form that we, India is probably one of the, not one of the, the largest English-speaking population in the world. People are well-educated. They have a democratic system where we, we go through state elections, national elections, city elections, much like a lot of other large democracies. So I think in a lot of context, we are similar to a lot of countries around the world who went through this part where at some point of time, there was a sense of pursuit for excellence. And I think here in India, young people today I'll tell you, one of our call center employees, I was speaking to him a few years ago, and I asked him, what's your ambition as you grow ahead in your career? And he said, I want to build a company just a little bit bigger than Oreo. So I think the ambitions today are just absolutely world-class, which is an incredible time to be here and an incredible time to, to be building a business in India at this point of time, and I'm excited about it. The fundraising from all our investors are very exciting stories. With SoftBank, I think... We got introduced to SoftBank from one of our previous investors from Green Oaks, Neil Mehta. So he introduced us to them. We just raised a round of capital. So we did not need new capital, but we met the CEO of SoftBank at the time. And he mentioned, of course, about what they were doing. I was, of course, fascinated about SoftBank because as they were one of the earliest investors in Alibaba and had built such an incredible success around there. So I was, of course, fascinated and inspired by that. So as and when we wanted to raise our next round of capital, we got in touch and he said, we would like to consider investing in your company. But before that, you should go meet Sonsan, who's the chairperson of SoftBank. So I said, I'd do it regardless of you investing if, right. if that opportunity existed. I went to Tokyo. It was, I remember it well, this was one of the annual general meetings that they were hosting. So he was kind enough to make time that day. Between his presentations, he took out probably 20 or 30 minutes of time. It was me and Abhinav's RCO. Both of us had gone to see him. Uh, and remember, we, we, we always live in a budget, but that part of time we were in super budget. So we were staying in a hotel which was far away. It was a little room. We shared rooms naturally because that part of time we didn't like think of spending for two different rooms. We are traveling, of course, individually. But we were really looking forward to that meeting. Uh, we give a quick update about our business to Sonsan. And I think he said, two or three things, which I think um, I look back and I feel made a huge difference. The first was building competency upfront is more valuable than delaying it, which means that making sure that you can invest in your direct distribution. We are today one of the world's most downloaded travel apps among the top five. Being able to build the competency of, like we discussed, dynamic pricing, being able to build the competency of the science behind 
how what does it take from an owner applying to join you to the time going live so that's one the second thing he mentioned was just the amount of impact or the Im amount of value of repeat customers is unparalleled so constantly track that like a hawk and the third thing he mentioned is you're a network driven business which means that there's a lot of network effects so making sure that your network is made available in or you plant your flags in all the key cities in india will make a huge difference mm -hmm. at that point of time i think i end up in our of course just taking notes and we felt it was a fan fantastic conversation just to call out at that time 80% of our revenue was new today 70% 65 to 70% of our revenue is repeat the second is at that point of time we did not have a mobile app or we just launched probably we are today one of the world's most downloaded travel apps and at that point of time we were just in three cities and today just in india we would be serving a few hundred cities and then there's more around the world so i think a lot of those turned out all right but but at that point of time i think we could we wouldn't have appreciated what it meant so i of course i'm i'm very thankful for the partnership we've had with all our partners whether it is lightspeed green oaks but also of course very thankful to softbank vision fund and the teams over the years i remember asking sam altman about his personal habits and i didn't spend enough time on that and i regret that because i think i I spent too much time on the business and not enough on how he built it mentally, how he mentally got to the place where he can build it. He told me that he would set goals for himself annually and so on. Do you have any habits like that that allow you to build, that allow you to be a good leader? That's a great question, by the way. And I'd love to listen into your podcast, which have these questions, because this is a very interesting question that I learn a lot from. I tr whenever I try to read books, one of the recent ones that I read was No Rules. and i think i try to gather whatever i can what i can do better individually and i think that's the number one habit the number one habit is to be paranoid about how to be a better version of yourself and i try to learn as much as possible around myself how i do it one i try to reach out to as many people as i can around myself who i believe are very good in their fields and it could be absolutely everything you could be great in hospitality great in technology great in content creation great in service great in real estate great in social media no matter what i try to reach out to as many people and back in the day i think it was very hard to get responses now the percentage of responses is of course increased and i'm very thankful for that quite the second thing i try to do is i'm constantly trying to keep track of world events and whenever there are world events instead of just reading them as one note on the wall i try to ask myself what's there in it for us to learn for us to do for us to make a difference of course before we get to doing something i spend a lot of time thinking and taking feedback from my colleagues from our partners from our shareholders board and so on but at least just making sure that i try and gather as much information as possible is something i try and do every day i set a goal for myself which is what is success for me today i'm so happy you asked that question before i started today's podcast i think it matters a lot like asking yourself what's success for me today like when i go back to bed today do i feel satisfied or not will depend on whether i did my job well and i try to keep a high bar or increase my bar for myself and um, it's one thing you will write down what's one thing that will make today a successful day for me absolutely every day can you give morning, me examples yeah so i think just this morning i spent a full day planning our network for the upcoming season in india the big travel season is actually the november and december and january which is the winter season in india it's the temperature is a little bit like fall or spring so people really going out and so on in most parts of india some parts can be quite cold for me it was 
I want to lock down our seasonality plan for India in terms of what kind of network I need to be able to have. I try to keep it at five to six because one's too less. So I also wanted to make sure that I locked into our Denmark plans for some of the key locations that we're investing in, like Bornholm Islands and a few others. I wanted to make sure I looked at our product releases that are come. So there are five of those things. At least I try to make sure that I'm successful in every day. And that just makes sure that I'm, I'm able to make a positive difference. A lot of time people who work in offices, and I always see this, I, there are two options. Either you can execute on what others' agenda is, or you can have your own agenda. I think having your own agenda and your own definition of what, is, what makes you successful is very crucial. Because if you don't do it, you can just spend the entire day, you can feel like you're very busy and probably the outcome of it may not be so much to show. So I really feel like having goals makes a huge difference, whether it is daily, monthly, yearly, is an outcome. But you'll start out your day and say, here's the one thing that will give me the most meaning at the end of the day when I go to sleep. And here are the other four or five things that I'm going to get done today. It's a no matter what, I've got to get it done. Absolutely. And the first one, which is will give me the most satisfaction, has to be the first thing you do. Because ah. if you do anything beyond that to begin with, it never gets that priority, that clean mind space, the problem-solving capability that you want to invest in it. But yeah, you've got to prioritize it, not just in the difference, but also in just sequencing as well. And then when you read books, how are you pulling out information and holding on to it and not just having it be another form of entertainment in your life? I think that's a great question. And like I mentioned earlier, great experience is worthwhile. But what's worth more is uh, the ability to reflect on those experiences. So I spend a lot of time trying to make sure that whether it is books, whether it is documentaries, whether it is publications, I try to reflect on them and ask myself when I'm making notes for my morning or before the end of the day about what are important takeaways or things that I should do in my job or in our company to be able to reflect similarly. I'll give you another example of that, Andrew, mm -hmm. and I think this is something we do and I think that most companies with teams greater than probably 30, 40, 50 should probably consider doing. We do what we call as a reflection session once every few months. The reflection session is nothing but a cathartic discussion where every individual has to say, what did we do wrong? What we should not have done? What did you do wrong? And it is mostly expected to be pointed at me. And I expect my colleagues to start with colleagues who have been with me for eight, nine years from the time where I started the company. So they are probably, they feel the most comfortable sort of being cathartic to me. And I think the power of that is unparalleled. A lot of people may feel like it's just a lot of negative energy. But if you do it right, it can be a lot of positive energy. People just feel like, they feel like they can get everything off their chest. And now they can just roll up their sleeves and get back to action again. How often are people just... And all they're doing is telling you, here are the things, Ritesh, that you should be doing differently that you didn't do. I think they're saying that here are the things that all, like the company could have done better. And here are the things you could have done better. So it's both in, in that context, yes. And it's just that. We're not softening it by saying, hey, you, you wear a shirt. You did good yesterday in a meeting. No, it's just, no, you're, you're shaking your head vigorously. Yes, not allowed. You, Only the things that you could have done different. What's absolutely. one example of something that someone gave you that might have been harsh? but made you better? How did you become better from this process? There's so many of them. I don't know how many of them I can okay. speak about in the podcast, but I'll try, I'll try. So I'll tell you one of them. One of them was one of my colleagues stored. It's become, and this is, I think, four years back, but has stayed with me. 
one of my colleagues told it's become hard to be in a meeting room with you because it's hard to speak because you don't give enough time to your colleagues to speak and you start speaking in the middle we understand you're passionate but that doesn't help my ability to share my perspective and i said so i i write all these i don't speak in the middle until all my colleagues have spoken and at the end i go line by line and say what i'm going to do to be better and one of that things i mentioned is next time on i will not only wait for people to speak but at the end of the call go around the room and ask everyone to share their views if they were not able to so i think that's an example but there's probably many more some i can speak here some i can't that's a killer example all right i get it all right what about what you're saying about calling people up and learning from them i remember i forget who it was jay abraham when i was a kid he had this cd that i found somewhere where he said that he would make a phone call to an entrepreneur and say i want to learn from you and i'll teach you about my business and let's just talk it through and that seemed like a dream to me but a weird thing to do now i have a podcast i get to do it how do you do it how do you get somebody on the phone and what's your process for learning from them yeah look i think first off i think you have a, a fantastic role that you get to speak to the best entrepreneurs in the world i i'm semi envious but i also know that this is a lot of work congratulations and in building what you built I think there are a few things that I try and make sure. The first is I think preparation is highly underappreciated. Making sure that you prepare well is a very key part of absolutely everything one does. Whether it is learning from others, whether it is going to a meeting that you have, whether you have to go make a sales pitch, whether you're going to interview someone, always invest the time in preparation. It will never go it it will always be worth it. I think specific to what I do when I try to reach out to people to learn from them. I do my homework. I try to read about them. I try to ask around about what are the things that they were very good at, what are the things that they did, and I ask myself about what are the things that I will benefit from from learning from somebody in this space. And then I try and spend a lot of time just listening. My ratio is if I'm there in a meeting where I don't have to speak or present, I should listen seventy percent of the time or eighty percent of the time, and I should just make an environment to do that, which is what you're doing very successfully, of course, for so many years. David Rubenstein, the founder of the Carlyle Group, he's now doing a series of interviews that happen to be on Bloomberg. I asked him why. He told me this is the thing he loves to do, like the way that some people would play golf in their retirement. He just wants to learn. And anyways, a phenomenal interviewer. The reason I bring that up is if you wanted to do a set of interviews, the kinds of conversations you're having, and do it without having to spend a lot of work on the tech, but do spend some time prepping for them. I could set your team up, and I know you've got a great team, and I'll make sure that you just sit and you learn, and then more importantly. the rest of us get to tune in and learn from how you're understanding and what you're picking up from them that's motivation for me and to do it if i end <laughs> up doing it hat tip to you all right i tried to find coming back to oyo i tried to find a list of the things that were significant milestones that were turning events in closing this out would you pick one or two that actually i had another question after this but Would you pick one or two of these milestones? It seems the app was a big one, going internationally was a big one, coming to the US. You own a big you own, not franchise, but you own a big hotel in Vegas. What's what's one or two of these things that was a big turning point that allowed you to grow? Let's break it into two parts. The first is just a quick clarification. A lot of people think that we own the hotel in Las Vegas. We own a small stake in it. It's largely owned by a third-party fund. I know a lot of ah. coverage said that we had it but I wanted to use this opportunity to just clarify that. 
But but yeah, we do have a great hotel in Vegas. So if you're there, check us out next time. But the more important question that you mentioned, which is milestones of the journey, I'd say, let me try and I typically like the three options. That is, which are the three, but I'll probably use five in this one. The first is being able to transform from Oravel to Oyo and saying that whatever our customers want, we will build for them. And if they want a full stack brand, which improves their revenue, we'll do that. The second, the Thiel Fellowship, because it gave me the opportunity to get exposed to the world that I didn't have a lot of opportunity to think or feel about. The third, being able to bring great talent. I think they have made a huge difference in, in where we are today. I think great talent makes incredible difference in the long term and especially great talent who sticks along for a very long time. I think the fourth is being able to grow global and be an enterprise that goes around the world. I think the fifth one, something that was a very crucial milestone is COVID. I think COVID was a very tough time for the travel businesses. But I believe that tough times are also times when a strong character is built. And I think we used COVID to transform our business, reset ourselves to be a company that we are today. And I think I feel very good being here today. And I don't think that's the case just for us. I think that's the case for most travel companies. I'm sure like Airbnb had a fantastic reinvention after COVID and so many other companies have used COVID, which were actually challenging times, but as an opportunity around themselves. All right. The final question is this. A lot of people are listening because they are wondering, how did you do it? Meaning like you didn't just build a multi-million dollar company. You built a multi-billion dollar company. It would be too simplistic to say, what's the one thing that allowed you to do that? But if there is one of many things that you can highlight that the younger you who had just come to America and maybe was listening to this podcast, maybe there is a younger version of you listening to this podcast, if they could take one thing away and say, here's why he went to billions and not just millions or thousands, what would one of those answers be? I'd say two words, hard work and perseverance. There is always light at the end of the tunnel, but you got to keep digging. A lot of time people stop digging too early. So I think perseverance is a highly underappreciated trait. There's a lot of time you'll feel like I can't see the end of it. You'll be surprised how close the end of it is. All you got to do is keep digging. The digging is a reference to the Napoleon Hill story of the person who bought an oil well or something and dug a little bit, didn't find it. The next, he sold it and the next person got it. Or is this just a generic story? And that's, that's your point. Yeah, I think, yes, it's partly to do with the oil well story, but partly to do with uh, the mountain digging where people build tunnels, especially tunnels are very dark. If you keep digging, at some point of time, you're going to see a lot of sunshine. But it's very easy to be heartbroken and think there's no sunshine at the end of it. Speaking of, I'm doing this at a comfortable 11.30 a.m. right now in Austin, Texas. What time is it where you are? It's 10 p.m. Thanks for working this late with me. And thank you all for listening. If you need a developer, remember, go to lemon.io slash Mixergy.